passing the offering plate, but giving continues to be an important part of how we're disciples of Christ. And so I, I encourage you to, uh, uh, if you're going to give here at Red Hills, there's a box in the back uh, on your way out. You can drop some stuff in there if uh, God so leads. Uh, if you're already faithfully giving to this ministry or any other to build the kingdom, it's just a quick reminder of uh, why on an external uh, perspective, you know, the, the treasures that God gives us bless the world. And, uh, and it's in giving that we're blessed ourselves. So let me just pray over our gifts. Father, thank you so much for blessing us with money and stuff. Uh, we know that it all comes from you. God, continue to teach us how to give with grateful hearts. Um, and Lord, uh, let our uh, lives, including our bank accounts and everything else, be fully surrendered to you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. All right, we're going to have a time of, uh, or we have a time scheduled of special prayer, but it's actually going to be a very, very short prayer because what I'm going to ask you to do is spend some time praying this week and reading your Bible. And so I've got a little story to tell you, true story. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail to protect the innocent, but um, uh, so you may have heard in the news that several weeks ago there was a man who was out, actually two men that were out, looking for antler sheds up in the Perwin area, and one of them passed away. And so they called. They didn't know where he was. They found his ATV running. Uh, they called the Iron County Sheriff, and they, they put together their search and rescue team. They were looking for this man who they knew was missing. And um, to, to make a very detailed and long story fairly short, uh, a friend of mine, um, a Christian brother, was praying about this, uh, and just had this burden. He's a, a personal friend of the, the sheriff. He had this, this burden about it. And so he had this thought come to mind. And he said, God, that's weird. I'm not sharing that with anybody. Uh, but if you want me to, I will. And so he continued to pray about it. He just had this heaviness, this burden. Uh, if you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. But just this feeling like this is very important. And so he calls up the sheriff and says, hey, Don't think I'm a freak. I don't do this on a regular basis. But I really think God is telling you to go here and do this to find this guy. The sheriff said, you know what? We were just thinking about going back to that spot that you just told us about. And so they did. They did exactly what he said, and they found the guy. Um, That's the movement of the hand of God. And, And when my buddy shared this with me, I was like, I wonder why he did this. Was he trying to encourage the sheriff? Was he trying to encourage my buddy? I wonder what this is all about. And then a couple weeks later, uh, same guy called me up and said, hey, you know what? I really think that God is sharing with me that we, the Christian church here in the Cedar City area, need to just read through the book of Ephesians. It's a relatively short book. It's in the New Testament. It's like six chapters. You can read it in uh, you know 20 minutes easily. Um, and so he said, I, I just think God wants that to be shared with his people. So there you go. Okay, I'm sharing it with you, and, and I'm wondering if God did this miraculous thing with the search and rescue so that I would listen when my buddy said, hey, I think this is supposed to be shared. So my challenge to you as the people of God is to take some time this week. If you can do it every day, great. Um, but take some time this week and read through the book of Ephesians. And if you do this on Monday or Tuesday, I think after you read through it, you might feel very encouraged by God to join us for prayer here on Tuesday evening. But, but here's what I want you to do is I want you to read through the book of Ephesians and find out if this was just some random synapses firing in my buddy's brain 
or if God is speaking to us. Right? I did this with the church up at Panguitch where I serve uh, as well. And uh, in the, the week that I shared the same thing, uh, God did some just amazing thing through the lives of the people up there through the book of Ephesians. So, so read Ephesians this week. I'm going to um, pray about this, uh, us doing that. I'm going to read some uh, verses from Psalm 36 as we pray. So pray with me, would you? Father God, your word says that your steadfast love extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. God, as we consider your word, as we uh, uh, consider this task of reading through the book of Ephesians, uh, we know that these are just words, but we know that you speak through those words. We know that the Bible is your word, and it's word of life. And so, God, I'd ask that you would give us uh, motivation and power over our flesh to actually sit down and read what you've read. I ask your Holy Spirit to come and speak to us as we read it, and I ask you to, to... Give us encouragement and give us boldness to share the encouragement that you bring so that we might be able to grow together in unity as a church in bringing Jesus to our area. I ask this in his mighty name. Amen. All right, and that wasn't even the sermon starting yet. All right, I'm Dan. If you don't know me, um, uh, I do serve here as one of the pastors at Red Hills, but I'm on temporary assignment up to, to Penguich, the church up there, uh, at least for a few more months, so I don't get to see everybody as often as I'd like to. Um, but uh, we're doing the same thing up there, going through the Book of Romans, uh, and it's been, been really uh, an awesome thing. So I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity to share with you uh, three chapters from the book of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, which is, which is a bunch to share. And so to kind of get us started, I want to tell you a little story. So there's a story about a scientist and a farmer who are sitting in the back waiting for church to start. And the scientist says to the farmer, what do you think is the most amazing invention? You know, the scientist says, I'm going back and forth between the space shuttle, which they say is the most complex thing ever made, and the, the personal computer, and it, because the computer's just amazing. It's just a bunch of, like, uh, electricity and, and integrated circuits and all this kind of stuff, and yet it can do almost as much as the human mind. And, and so the farmer listens to that, and he kind of nods, and he goes, okay. And the scientist goes, well, so what about it? What do you think is the most amazing invention ever? And the farmer, without pause, says, it's the thermos. And the scientist says, the thermos? The farmer says, sure. In the morning, it keeps my coffee hot. In the afternoon, it keeps my iced tea cold. And I don't even have to tell it what to do. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. This is a farmer sermon. We're going to cover a hugely difficult topic, a hugely complex topic. And uh, I can't tell you how everything works in it. But God gives us some indications here in these three chapters of Romans of, of how he makes it work. And so as we go through this, I'm just going to tell you that um, you will probably have some unanswered questions because this is such a big topic. Uh, some of you are most likely 
I'm, I'm going to push you off of your happy place a little bit because uh, you're probably going to confront some things that you think are not true. And if I say something that you think is not true and, and it doesn't come from the Bible, then I invite you to call me on it. Uh, if I say something that does come from the Bible, and let's talk about it some more or, uh, um, or just take God at his word and, and, and let your thinking line up with his. Uh, either way, as we go through this very, very difficult topic, I invite you to connect with me. My number's in the bulletin there, uh, and I'd be happy to meet with you or, or connect with you on the phone this week if we need to follow up on this. So, um, so here's the big thing we're talking about, the idea that if God is in control of everything, do our choices really matter? So before we get into that, let me pray, and then, then we'll get on. Father God, what an amazing thing it is to think that you're in charge of everything. And yet, God, you know how we struggle with our own choices, uh, with understanding how our choices fit into your perfect plan. Uh, God, will you illuminate this for us today? Will you help us to understand or, or make us understand uh, what you've put in your word here in these three chapters, what Paul has written down for us? God, will your Holy Spirit move in us today? Uh, and will you use my words for your glory? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Anthony kind of finished up with, with the idea in chapter 8 that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing message. And at the end of that chapter, it talks about the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Absolutely incredible stuff for us to hear. Uh, but if you're in the context of when Paul was writing this, there's a big question that comes up. And here's the question. If you're familiar with how the Bible is structured, kind of biblical history, uh, you'll know that there's people that follow God, the Jews, the Israelites, who have been given all these promises and that sort of stuff. And that's what, that's what Paul talks about at the beginning of chapter 9 of Romans. He says, you know, they've been given all these things from God. And yet at the time that Paul is writing this letter, the Jews are largely opposed to Jesus Christ. So if you could imagine it this way, uh, if this side of the room was non-Jews, what, what the Bible calls Gentiles in most cases, and this side of the room was Jews, this side of the room has this incredible history. They've got prophets and promises and covenants, and these are the people that are supposed to be God's chosen people. And yet, at the time that Paul is writing this, this side of the room is mostly the beneficiaries of what Jesus Christ has brought. In fact, some of the people on this side of the room have left and gone to this side of the room. Okay? And so, so what we have is this question, if God has promised these people over here these amazing things, and yet right now we see that God is doing amazing things through this side of the room, what's going on? Is God a liar? When he said all these things about the Jewish people, was he wrong? Okay, super, super important questions. And that's what Paul takes us through. And so that we don't get stuck just in biblical history, but we think about how this applies to our own lives as well, is it's a question that applies across the board. Say, how do God's promises, how, do, how does his perfect, all-powerful hand work in a way that I can still have choices and, and participate in what he's doing? And it's a very, very difficult question. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to answer, but, but Paul points, it, points us to that in these verses. 
So, so that we don't get lost in the theology of this, I want to just kind of throw out a couple examples of, of where this question comes to play. Uh, some of you may be familiar with a guy named Joshua Harris, a famous Christian pastor, author. Um, he he uh, wrote books that were super famous, he was a speaker. And some years ago, actually in 2019 is when he finally said, hey, I don't believe in Jesus. Okay? But for decades prior to that, he was a major influence in the church. Uh, you may have heard about similar things with uh, Rhett and Link, who were some, some YouTubers, uh, the songwriter Marty Sampson, people who lived out faith for years and years and years and then came to a point where they said, I'm out, Jesus ain't it. Okay. And you have to ask the question when they do that, what's going on here? Were these people never saved? Did they fall away? Uh, were they predestined? Were they predetermined by God to reject Jesus? Uh, and if that's true, if any of that's true, can that happen to me? Okay. Can I just fall away? Can I, can I just, am I predestined to reject Jesus? Um, you could think about it this way too. Here's another example. If you have neighbors that have a different faith and you're asking the question, well, do I even need to share about Jesus with them? Because if God is in charge of everything and he wants them to come into his kingdom, he's going to do that anyways, whether I do it or not. And, and if I do think I'm supposed to do that, do I even have a choice? Or can I get up this morning and say, no, I want to watch Netflix all day? Okay? How does this stuff all play together? It's very, very practical in, in once we start considering it. And so I'm going to read excerpts from chapter 9 to 11 to, to answer this question. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have it on the screen like we normally do. And I did that intentionally partly because I'm jumping around. And, and I'd like you to actually see all the stuff that's in between this in the Bible. So if you have questions, you can go back and read it. But if you've got your Bible, pull it out. If you don't have your Bible and you do the phone, pull it out. And then if I get boring, you can pretend like you're reading the Bible and, you know, surf and that sort of thing. Uh, there's Bibles in the, in the backs of the chairs in front of you. Um, so I invite you to join me as we go through, uh, starting at Romans chapter 9. Looking at verses 14 to 23, okay. uh, Paul's asking this question that if God has brought believing Gentiles ahead of the law following Jews, has he broken his promises to the Jews? And so picking up in chapter 9 at verse 14, he says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You'll say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the, the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? This is a tough concept, okay? The big idea is that God ordains and is in control of everything. And literally that some people have been ordained to be vessels of wrath, to be, to be set up for destruction. And other people have been ordained to be vessels of mercy, to show God glory. 
Okay? And this is a hard concept to think that God has already said, hey, you know what? There's some who are not going to make it into heaven, essentially. Okay? And so we have to wrestle with that. And as we wrestle with that, Paul goes from this declaration about how this all works to saying, and this is how this applies to the Jewish people and why they're not following Jesus right now. But he brings it back to this idea that the reason this is happening this way is because of unbelief. So we're going to skip down to chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. So after saying God's in control of everything, and he does whatever he wants to the people that he wants to do it to, Paul says this, starting in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul says, hey, God's in charge of everything. He hardens whoever he wants. And if you believe in Jesus, you will not be hardened. You will be saved. So there's some tension there between these two ideas, the idea that God's ordaining everything, and yet salvation comes through our choice. And then Paul goes from that to say, hey, this salvation I'm talking about is not simply... uh, like a magic wand or something like that, or a momentary event, he says, you know, the Jews have been attached to God, and for this time period, they've been broken off. But they're going to be brought back. But he says, you, who are not Jewish, have been grafted in, you've brought in to connect with God. Okay? And there's a warning in this. Look at chapter 11 with me as we look at verses 17 to 22. If some of the branches were broken off, then he'd be talking about the Jewish people who have rejected Jesus. And you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So Paul connects what he's been saying in chapter 10 to this this idea in chapter 11 that this Confessing with, your heart, or confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart is not a momentary thing. It is an enduring, persistent belief. Okay? Our choice, our, our, our belief must be persistent for us to remain grafted in to the root who is God. Okay? So as we take all these things together, um, here's what I want us to talk through. Uh, We're going to answer these or address these three questions as we answer the top question there. If God is in control of everything, do our choices really matter? In order to answer that, we want to look at, has God really predetermined things? Uh, If he has, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? And if God is really in control, then how can my choices matter? How can that all work together? 
So has God really determined who will go to heaven and hell? God is absolutely in control of everything. Nothing happens outside of what God has purposed to do. Um, And uh, if you look at the text, if you go back to verse uh, or chapter nine, verse eighteen says, "He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills." God gets to decide what happens there. In verse twenty-one, he, God the Potter, has the right to make one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Again, God gets to decide what happens. And verse 22, he's prepared some people as vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and others vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. And if we go back to chapter 8 and look at verse 29, he says it very clearly. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we have this unequivocal, unequivocal statement that God is controlling every circumstance. Um, The Bible tells us that we cannot come to God. We cannot come and approach faith in Jesus Christ without God drawing us. It says in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. And that's Jesus talking. So so God has to initiate us coming towards him. We've been looking through the whole first part of Romans is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot do this on our own. Okay. So, so God has to initiate this. God has to provide a way for us to get right with him. We can't do it by ourselves. Um, and, and God determines how, when, and how often we get pulled towards him, how often we hear the gospel. Okay. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God's desire is that none will perish. Okay. So he wants everybody to know him. But suppose he comes to you 500 times and says... I want you to know me. He puts people in front of you. He puts scripture in front of you. He puts circumstances in front of you. And let's say he comes to me and only does it 10 times. He's still just. Okay? The fact that he came to you 500 times and me only 10, that means he gave you 500 chances at a gift and me only 10. Either way, it's still a gift. He's still just to say, hey, I'm calling you to me. Will you do that? So from first to last, everything that happens around us is under God's control and we're completely dependent on him for things to work out the way we hope they will. Uh, as I say that, you're going to think about bad things. There's some folks in our, in our uh, congregation today that just had a tragedy in their family with a, a little one, you know, and you think of that something bad like that happening. You go, how can that happen in a world created by a good God? Uh, some will argue that God doesn't make bad things happen. Okay. And, and there's an element of truth to that for sure. God does not initiate evil. Okay. But it's really easy for us to fall uh, or to, to sell God short if we follow that too far. Okay. Think of it this way. If you've tasked me to watch the kids downstairs during children's church, all right, and there's a little girl and an eight-year-old bully comes up to her and pushes her down and steals her sucker and kicks her and, and, and just basically does mean things to her, and I sit there and I watch the whole thing, what would you say to me? You'd say, Dan, you're done. Okay? No more of that for you. Why'd you do that? All right? And you should. Okay, but here's the thing is God has the power to stop everything bad that has ever happened in the world. He could have stopped Hitler in his you know, crib, and he chose not to. 
And so one of the things we have to wrestle when we say, hey, God is in charge of everything, he is literally in charge of everything. And when bad things happen, God may not have initiated those things, but God has allowed those things. And we have to just acknowledge that that's the God that we serve. So no earthquake has ever happened that God hasn't said, yes, I'm going to let that happen, because he could have stopped it. Um, Nobody's won the lottery except God says, yes, I'm going to let this person win the lottery. If you're paralyzed in a car wreck today, it's because God allowed it to happen. He allowed those circumstances to happen where that's just the outcome. If you meet your future spouse today, it's because God ordained that. Uh, And if you never meet a future spouse because God wants you to live a life uh, single and, and pursuing him, then that is the very best thing, and he's ordained that as well. So every single thing that happens around us happens under God's auspices. So the answer is yes, God has predetermined who will go to heaven and hell. Okay? Because any of us that ends up rejecting Jesus, okay, God allowed that to happen. Okay? And anybody uh, that says yes to Jesus, God enabled that to happen. Okay? And that makes us uncomfortable to think that God may have predetermined stuff, and that's why we're having this discussion. Okay? But I'm not going to make you comfortable yet. Okay? So here's the question that comes up naturally. If God's predetermined who goes to heaven and hell, I want to know which category I'm in. Anybody else there? Okay. It'd be kind of nice to know that. And this is why it's so beautiful that God goes from, or, or Paul goes from chapter 9, talking about how God's in charge of everything, to chapter 10, saying, hey, it's about faith. Okay? Paul says that where you end up entirely depends on your faith in Jesus. Okay? Uh, Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So where we end up is entirely dependent on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask this question, if we're going to say, am I going to heaven or hell? Am I going to live eternity with God or live eternity in some bad place apart from him? Okay. We have to answer this question, is your faith in Jesus? Okay. The determiner is that God sent his son to live a perfect life, to pay the price for our sins, to willingly go to a painful death on a cross so that he could pay that price. Okay. And then God raised him up after three days. And then he says, you know what? If you want to have access to this gift of forgiveness of sins, if you want to live for eternity, put your faith in Jesus Christ. And we either say yes or we say no. If we say yes, where do we end up? You can say it. We go to heaven. Okay? We get the abundant life that God promised to us now we get the abundant life for eternity that God had predestined through Jesus. Okay? But if we say no, then God gives us exactly what we asked for. We said, I don't want what you have to give. And he says, very well then. Okay? And that's tough. And that brings us to this point of saying, if God is really in control of everything, how is it possible that he could allow me to have choices? How is it possible that he could make it so that I can ask uh, or, or, or make a decision that somehow impacts my eternity. Um, and so here's where we go with that. <clears throat> 
First thing is, God can allow choice without relinquishing control. So one of the arguments that people in the church get into sometimes is like, if you're saying that your choice matters, then God's not really in control. <clears throat> Wrong. Okay. Uh, and you all have experienced this in some way or another. So imagine somebody taking their child. Let's say I take a little boy, my, my son, to the, the playground when he's just a few years old. Okay. I determine whether he gets there. I determine what uh, parts of the playground he plays on. I determine whether he goes and runs out into the street. I, you know, I keep him where he's supposed to be. Uh, I make sure he stays away from the big dog that comes to the park, all this sort of stuff. So I am fundamentally humanly anyways, in control of what's going on. And yet I allow my child to decide whether he's going to play in the sandbox, whether he's going to climb up on that mushroomy-shaped thing, whether he's going to um, go down the big slide or the small slide, whatever. Within my reign of sovereignty, I have control, but I allow him to make choices that impact what happens to him, even if it means he falls off the mushroom thing and cries, right? So, so there is, it is totally possible to... Be in control and still allow people to have choices underneath that control. And that's what God does with us. And that's why we see in chapter 9 that Paul is saying God is in control of everything. He hardens whoever he wants. He shows mercy to whoever he wants. And then in chapter 10 that your destiny is dependent on whether or not you have belief in Jesus Christ. Those two things are not fundamentally opposed to each other. Here's another big thought, okay? God can see our choices before we make them because he's outside of time. And in order for my brain to comprehend this, I have to draw something. So I drew something for you, okay? Imagine this is the timeline of all history. What happened in 1492? Yeah, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I love it. (laughs) What happened in 1969? I was born, okay? And today's 2021. Okay, so if I'm standing there in 2021, uh, I'm looking, I can see, well, sort of, I can, I, I'm aware of choices and everything that, that resulted in my birth. I'm aware of Columbus sailing the ocean blue. I can look back on all these things. Can I look behind me at all? Can I see what's coming in the future? Absolutely not. So the idea, idea of choices is completely dependent on you do something now, and then we look back on that and say, hey, this is the choice that he made. That is not where God lives. God is outside of time. He created time. Right? And so, so when God looks at things happening, he looks like this. Okay? In 1492, he could see me being born. Okay? He could see what I was going to say today and know what I was going to say today. So God is not constrained by time like we are. He can even look forward and see when I'm going to die, whether it's an hour or a day or ten years from now. And he knows exactly the circumstances, and he knows where my faith in Jesus is at that time. Okay? And in amongst all that knowledge that he has, he can influence the world to offer me more chances to say yes to Jesus, to slap me upside the head and say, hey, get your mind right. Okay? Or he can choose not to and allow my heart to be hardened. Okay? That is his purview and his ability as God. So when we consider this question of choices fitting in with God's sovereign plan, because he's outside of time, he can know what's going to happen and yet still give us latitude to make choices. I hope that makes sense to you. And here's the biggest thing for me as we consider this question. The Bible always presents the gift of grace as an interaction between God's sovereignty 
and man's response. Okay? So I'm going to go through some famous verses that you'd be, probably be familiar with to illustrate what I mean. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Okay. The stuff, it was blue on my slides. It looks purple to me. What's it look like here? It's blue back there too. Okay. Um, so, so the blue up here is God's sovereignty. That's him in control. He loved the world. He gave his one and only son. And now the green is there's a response required. Okay. That whosoever believes in him. It's not that God is only in control and, and your choices mean nothing. It's not that your choices dictate what God does. It's that God sovereignly has said, this is, this, this is how the world has been made, how I have made it, and I invite you to participate. Okay? Here's another verse. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Right? So the whole idea that it's by grace you've been saved is completely God working. It's Jesus coming to die for us. There's nothing we did to earn that, nothing we could do to make it happen. And yet God, having done that sovereignly at just the right time in history, he says, through faith. In other words, I need you now to make a decision based off of what I've done. Last one. This is what we read today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that is the will of man. And for those of you that are like detail people, I know, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, God has an element in that. He pulls our hearts towards him. But substantively, all the stuff in green up there is the will of man. You deciding whether or not you're going to say yes to God, whether you're going to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Okay? And if you do that, God sovereignly says you will be saved. Okay? So here's where we end up if I can get the clicker to work right. Here's where we end up. If, if God is in control of everything, do my choices really matter? The answer is absolutely, because he's chosen to honor our choices. Not because we force his hand, but because he loves us. And that's what Paul is telling us in these verses. He's saying, hey, you know what? God does what he wants, but our loving God wanted to say, if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ you will have eternity with me. Okay? And because he's outside of time, he already knows who's done that. Okay? And in his perfect mind, if I can call it that, he's already determined how many pe- times that he's going to offer the gospel to people, who he's going to harden for his own glory, but his desires that none would perish, and he offers the free gift of eternal life to all those who will say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. So one of the things I think that it's important for us to think about as we uh, get to this conclusion, that that whole section in chapter 11 about being cut off, subject of much angst and debate in the church. Okay? Uh, and here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to leave here and go, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. Well, maybe I do. Say, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ. Okay, but I don't want you to walk out those doors and say, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I need to try harder in order to win God's approval. That is not at all what's being said. What's being said is, if you were eight years old and somebody told you, say a prayer, and you did, and then somebody told you, because you said that prayer, you now have eternal life, okay, that is a lie. Okay? 
You have eternal life if you have faith in Jesus. Okay? And so, does that prayer matter? Absolutely. Okay? But it is not some kind of incantation where we say it and we get this get-out-of-hell-free card and we put it in our wallet until the day we die. Okay? No, he's saying in chapter 11 that, hey, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ... It is a persistent thing. It means that's who you are. That's how you live. Jesus is now your Savior. Jesus is now your Lord. And that's where you live. And so as we ask this question, if God is in control of everything, do my choices really matter? Yes. My choice that matters is whether I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith is a faith that is enduring or persistent. It's not a faith that says, hey, I said a prayer one time in a service. It's a faith that says, I know that Jesus died. I know that Jesus rose again. I know that he is currently my Lord, and I know that someday I will get to spend eternity with him. So if you know Jesus, praise God. He's invited you to make that decision. You have. Your eternity is absolutely secure. If you don't know Jesus, why not? He's the only answer there is. And God has said, I will honor your choice. If you don't want Jesus, you can suffer the consequences. If you do want Jesus, you can suffer the joys. Okay, let's pray.